Moncrief on News Talk. Right, our first guest uh, doesn't need much of an introduction to a Cork audience anyway, being one half of the hugely popular Two Norries podcast. Uh, but Dublin has heard of them too. They'll be in the Sugar Club on May 21st. James Leonard is with us in the Triscoll Arts Centre. Good afternoon to you, James. Thanks oh, for form, Tom. We're twinning with the jumpers, haven't we? That's, yeah, that was... <laughs> People work behind the scenes to <laughs> coincide all these things. Be, uh, so being an Ari is being from the north side of Cork? Or exactly. is it a specific part of the north side of Cork? Well, we're from northwest Cork City. I don't know did that lady say Holly Hill. Yeah. But that's where I'm from, Art Cullen, up behind the garage near Apple. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Very regional, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and how it, what's, what's different about that from any other part of the city? Um, I suppose it's it's a very working class area mm-hmm. and traditionally it would have uh, had some social issues so it would have been um, I suppose people would aspire maybe to live in Black Rock more than they would up there So, oh Patricia's dream has come true then really <laughs> Well, I, I'd much rather Holly Hill than Black Rock myself <laughs> but I suppose you it gives you a kind of a siege mentality then yeah. if people kind of feel like people might kind of look down their nose and yeah, a little bit or people kind of talk about the area in a negative light but when you're from that area you're very proud of where you're from mm. and that's why we wanted to use the term Nari in, our, uh, in the name for the podcast just a, a bit of ownership and the logo then is the reservoir in Nakanahini as well so that's our logo then Right, okay. So, but Nari wouldn't be a derogatory term, or have you? No, kind of really, no, it wouldn't yeah. be. No. Yeah, and so w- when you were growing up, then was there a, a very tight sense of community, both within your family and, and, and in that neighbourhood? There was, there was a very tight sense of community. You know, we all looked after each other, and uh, there, there are small estates in in Nakanahini and Halley Hill, where we're from. And uh, like some of my best memories are in the youth centre or out playing football uh, when the, the spring is coming in. Like some of the best memories I had is coming home from St Mary's and the Hill Primary School, going into the estate where we where we were living. And if the grass was freshly cut by the corporation, it was like heaven, you know. Mm. And we used to play soccer there all the time. And there was a lot of negativity going on in the area, but sport and friendship kind of get you through it. Yeah. When you were a bit older, when if you look back in your life now. Now, I'd say you probably, you, you may well think, I wish no one had ever offered me a drug kind of thing. But when did, you, when did that start, do you think, when you look back? That you kind of diverged from that, you know, that kind of idyllic picture you've just painted there. Yeah, I think um, in, in my early years in primary school, I was okay. You know, I was playing sport. I was good in school and stuff like that. And the school was like very near my house. And when I went into secondary school, then I went into another school in Fairhill, the Northman, which was a very famous school in Cork. But I, I've no good memories of it. Just um, in my teenage years, were difficult for me as well. Mental health issues, uh, very insecure, low confidence, poor self-image. So when I ex- when I was experimenting with alcohol and stuff, which is normal for a teenager, mm. um, I used it as a kind of a coping skill as opposed to socialising tool. You know, so it gave me that confidence and self-esteem that I was lacking, and I kind of used it. Uh, I suppose, problematically from a very early age. Yeah, and did you get through school entirely? I did. I did my yeah. leave and sort amazingly in 2003. Mm. I remember uh, we're, going, we're writing a book at the moment and uh, I was looking at... My mum kept all our school reports, to be fair to her, and I was looking at my junior sort results. You know, I didn't turn up for three or four of the exams because the World <laughs> Cup was on. <laughs> I, I had no maths in education, but yeah. my mum's mantra was, if you did nothing with your life, you did the leave and sort. And when I think of the amount of energy, resources, it took for her to get me to sit that leaving sort. 
you can only appreciate it when you get older. Yeah. But I finished school in 2003 and I was in cop prison in 2004, 12 months later. Because when I finished school, I left home straight away and early and then I had all the freedom, you know. Yeah. When you, when you left home, where did you go? Did you have a place to go? Yeah, staying in friends' house and you know, just kind of bunking in with people. Um, just a lot of alcohol and ecstasy was the big thing then. Um, or I suppose the turning point for me was we started getting prescriptions off some quack doctors in Cork City. And uh, how I'd explain it is, um, did you ever watch the Hangover movie? Yeah. So they go on a stag and one of them decides it'd be a good idea to spike the others with one row hypnol mm. and they end up on a roof of a casino in Bangkok. Well, we were drinking and we were taking 10 or 20 and ending up in the Bridewell Garda station. Yeah. And, and ending up in, like, it was regular where we'd actually wake up in the Garda station and you had no memory of what happened the night before and start going into prison then for public order, anti-social behaviour because we were kind of volatile enough. And I'm, I'm not like a... a like, there's a lot of people like me in our area, unfortunately, and we kind of congregated together. Now, yeah. Most of the people just get on with their lives, work, cause no trouble, but there was a significant minority of us that kind of created all the noise, you know? But um, all that kind of madness left my life then when heroin came into it. And heroin, isn't, there's, not, there's nothing social, I suppose. When you're drinking and taking ecstasy, is kind of a social thing, you know? Mm. But with heroin, it's a very isolating thing. And uh, it's a very devious thing, and just ripping people off and robbing from people and stuff like that, and it just has a lot more consequences. Yeah. So then, when the heroin came into your life, did you not really have that? Like you had, it sounded like you had a kind of a community for that first year. Yeah. Was it? We are more lonely, more isolated when when the heroin came. Yeah. Out. It's uh, like do you know if I have a slab of Budweiser, I might give you a text to say, Sean, do you want to come over for a few ca- for a few yeah. cans? You know. If you have heroin, you're not texting nobody to share it. Yeah. And uh, then the thing with heroin, as opposed to the other drugs, is the physical withdrawal, which I had never experienced. So when you're sick, you literally do anything not to be sick. And it's like, um, it's like a horse having blinkers on, and they need to get to the finish line. But when you're sick from opiates, not just heroin, but can be from you know, painkillers and stuff like that, the, the blinkers come on and you have to get what you need to get, the money and the drug and the devastation you cause, you don't, you don't know about, or you, know, you don't really care. And then when you use the drug, the blinkers come off, and then you can see the devastation. And that shame and guilt drives the addiction. And it was smoke and heroin for me, ended up injecting drug use, stuff like that, and overdose and homelessness towards the end as well. Yeah, and, and you did end up doing a, a stretch in prison as well. Yeah, I was in and out through the whole time, you know, yeah. just in and out. And, and uh, is, it, is it a funny thing, James, that prison, in a way, gave you a regularity you didn't have on the outside? I actually felt I had more freedom inside because the things that I'm interested in is education, sport, the gym, you know, uh, I had all that in there. I had a structure... On the outside, I was bound to a pharmacy, to a doctor, to a dealer, to the post office. You know, my, life, my world was very small, and I had no life skills to look after myself. Whereas in prison, I was told where to sleep, when to eat, you know? Mm, and yeah. my, my family wasn't worried about me, I had good contact with them. But when I got out, it was just chaos for me, you know? Yeah. To finally get clean, though, and, and your mother sounds like a phenomenal woman. Yeah. Because she seemed to make the toughest decision of all, which was that... I'm going to have no contact with you until you do something about this. Yeah, to be fair, no, I've had great... Like, at the time, I did feel a sense of abandonment. You know, when you're in addiction, you want to blame everybody. Mm. You want to blame everybody else, you know, but you have to take ownership yourself. 
before you can recover and stop blaming your mom and your dad and your nan and the dog and the teacher it's like you have to take responsibility because while you're blaming everybody else people are getting on with their lives you know so it was a bit of maturity came with that as well but yeah like she did uh, kind of kept me away I have two younger sisters as well and you can't have somebody that chaotic around them you know mm-hmm. I would have intermittent contact with my mum and dad but for the most part I stayed away from them but I suppose Maybe if they, if she enabled or my dad enabled, it might have prolonged it much longer, you know. Yeah, and the, the and as I understand it, it was a comment from a guard who who had seen you many times before, which finally gave it the last little push you needed. Ironically enough, yeah, because my 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 relationship with them wasn't great. Yes, I, I actually had an overdose on a. a just between Sunday as well and Blarney Street across from the Mercy Hospital in Affair. And uh, I was phoned by somebody, the guards came along. But instead of stopping and searching me, like they usually would, they just said, James, you need to look after yourself. This is the worst you've ever been. Mm. Do you know, like, we know you're a long time and you're going to be found dead soon. You need to look after yourself. And I was like, the guards here are showing me a bit of con- kindness. I must be gone altogether, you know. So it really kind of resonated with me and I stewed on it for a few days and I picked up the phone. And the gas thing about it, I suppose 10 years later, that was in uh, Christmas 2012, we were up in Galway on Tuesday and we presented to the Garda Sergeants and Inspectors Conference in Galway. <laughs> and like, Many of you here will know me. Yeah, yeah, actually did. Actually, there was a guard up there, uh, I won't say his name, but he's an inspector in the court now, like, but the last time I seen him, he pulled me out of a sports car. <laughs> but it's good to be able to laugh about it. Today, it is, you know? it is. Such a relief to be able to yeah, laugh about yeah. it. And so, was it in Carlo, uh, the, the place that you went to? Yeah, St. Francis Farm, yeah. beautiful place. It's a detox and a treatment centre. It was eight weeks detoxing and then 16, 17 weeks in treatment. Very difficult now. Mm. Uh, had to unlearn all the behaviours I had. You know, uh, a lot of beliefs about what it was to be a man, masculinity, my identity, my personality, what I could be in this world, who I was in this world, self-limiting core beliefs about what I could do with my life. All that was challenged. But when I came out then, I felt like I had a fresh slate, you know. Uh, I went into the care of the Simon community then. They had a recovery house. I know where to go. And uh, they put me up in a house. And that was the first time for a long time where when I got out of prison or treatment, because it wasn't my first rodeo with treatment either, mm. it was the first time I had somewhere to go. Yeah. That wasn't back yeah. into the madness. And that was like, I felt like that this was my opportunity. I was 28. I was, you know, along in the tool as well. And I felt like this is it, you know. Yeah, and you're, you're a director of Simon now. I was up until a few months ago, right, okay. but with the podcast taken off and my day job, just very unmanageable. But uh, I did a bachelor's degree and a master's, and I went back working in the Simon then. Right. And I remember I was working in the shelter one of the first days, and uh, I was opening one of the lads' doors, you know, and another fellow was walking towards me, who I knew from, you know, my previous life. And he says, Jesus, James, I heard you were doing well and all. And I said, I am, I'm working here now. Mm. But you know what, there was little interactions like that make, make you think like, there go I, but for the grace of God. Yeah. And it give you a great sense of gratitude for what I have. Because a lot of people try to get recovery, but they don't. You know, so I feel very grateful for where I am today. And to be able to give back in services like that was great. I suppose a couple of years in Simon, I finished up and then I became a director. And uh, was one of the first directors of a charity in the state with criminal convictions because you're not allowed unless you get high court approval. So we had to do all that. And I still have a great relationship with the Simon today. They're yeah. under a lot of pressure at the moment. Of the people when you were 
when you were taking drugs that you kind of would pal around with, have many of them managed to come with the, out the other side of it? They actually did. A lot of them did. A friend of mine there, John Paul, he won't mind me saying, he was a year in recovery there uh, about two weeks ago, and we went for a dinner out to a, a lovely Chinese up by the lock, and there was 20 of us there, and the 20 of us were all in recovery. Now, Gee. Like when I come into recovery, and Timmy that does the podcast, there wasn't that many. Mm. But it's attraction. People see, like, they know how bad I was. I know they see me, you know, dressed well, driving the car, working, happy, and no drugs. And they're like, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And then people contact you, James, how do I get in there? How do I get in there? So I, I signpost people, and it's great now to have, you know, a big group. All my friends are in recovery. My wife is in recovery. My whole life is based around recovery, the podcast. It just makes me maintain my recovery easy, do you know? Yeah, and the, the, the podcast is huge now at this stage. Are you a brand now? I suppose we are. I suppose yeah. we are. We, 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 uh, we did a sold out opera house there two weeks ago with uh, Jimmy Barry Murphy and Shane Casey from The Young Offenders. Amazing experience. Sold out two months earlier as well. Uh, we're in the opera house again on the 22nd of August as part of the Cork podcast festival and our first gig in Dublin is the 21st of May yeah. so uh, we have a big listenership in Dublin as well so we're looking forward to going up there but it's really after growing legs like we started out as a podcast around you know recovery addiction and stuff like that but it morphed into a more general podcast because people a more general social and health podcast because people from all walks of life can identify with the pain the mm. trauma and the tools we use to recover Anybody can use those tools to better their life, you know, and kind of uh, just become happier and more content. Yeah, you are. You are indeed. I know it's an awful cliche, but you are a genuine inspiration. James, thanks thank a minute for coming thank to you. speak today. Thank you. Thank you. James Leonard there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.